This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg. Grab a stool and come gather round the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. And I'm broadcasting from my little studio beneath the stairs here in Old Thornhill, just north of Toronto. And I hope wherever you are tonight, hearing the sound of my voice, that you're safe and healthy and hopefully not alone. But if you are alone, just know that you are not. Uh, You're with all of us tonight. Hey, have you found this, that, that you appreciate each increasingly rare, it seems, human interaction all the more these days? A, A conversation from one front porch to a neighboring front porch. I can't remember the last time I spoke to my at length to my neighbor Mario, and, and we did that yesterday. A wave across the street to someone you've seen in the neighborhood before, but you've never spoken to as you both go along your, your solitary strolls. Maybe a, a Skype call with friends in another part of the country. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's amazing. I, I, I can't think, help but think, that this after this plague has lifted, we're all going to be forever changed for the better, uh, or at least I hope that's the case, to hope, perchance to dream. And we'll talk about dreams in the first hour. Craig Webb is the executive director of the Dreams Foundation and the author of Dreams Behind the Music. And we'll get into how dreams influence the creative process, the songwriting process of such artists as Lennon and McCartney and others will probably touch on whether uh, the corona, uh, coronavirus has entered into our dreams and nightmares. Uh, it's impossible to stray too far from coronavirus, but most of the heavy lifting in terms of that topic uh, will be covered by my guest in hour two, Ali Siadatan, no stranger to this program. He is a documentary filmmaker from Think Again Productions. And uh, he's also a martial artist and a a serious student of scripture. And he'll be here again in hour two with some profound insights into how the coronavirus pandemic may be interwoven with biblical prophecy. Uh, But Ali assures me it's not all doom and gloom. Even when the the storm clouds have gathered and all seems dark and 
depressing. There's always some light and hope to be found, and that will certainly be part of his message when Ali joins me in uh, hour two. And I'll be sure to carve out some time each hour uh, for phone calls because I'd love to hear from you in hours one and two. Craig Webb is a dream analyst, author, and researcher. He's also a widely traveled speaker and musical artist who's done pioneering lucid dream research at Stanford and designed peak performance devices distributed worldwide. His book, The Dreams Behind the Music, reveals little-known dreams that inspired tremendous success for over 100 famous artists and highlights principles and techniques anyone can use to harvest their own dreams for significant breakthroughs. Hey, Craig, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Great to join you again, Richard. Thanks for the invite. Uh, Doing pretty peaceful. I think we're all in our our home studios today, right? Yes, we are. Yes, we are. I say, uh, you know, the social distancing uh, as a metaphor, as a dream person, I'm not so crazy about it. So I say physical distancing, very good and respects the masses and, and our neighbors, but socially connected. Yes, yes. And as I was mentioning, I think in, in at least for me personally, uh, I'm, I'm more mindful with each human interaction. I mean, I, I have four other people in the house here. Uh, you know, but others on the street, I almost, I crave that, you know, and uh, a simple gesture, a wave hello now takes on much more meaning. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think that's one of the big, if we start to unwrap this terrible challenge facing everybody in the world, really, uh, there are definitely some gifts, or at least we can turn the, the the lemon into lemonade and find some gifts. And I think empathy, connection is one of the big messages here. Not so busy that we don't have time for even family, friends. But actually, that should be a priority before, you know, we eventually arrive at death's door and say, hmm, I'm not sure if I chose the right things. Right, right. Yes, it's certainly um, getting many of us to pre uh, to reprioritize. How is the, the pandemic, how is coronavirus affecting people's dreams when people talk to you about about this what are they saying well first off anything this huge emotionally which is for most people here affecting us all in different ways but usually very strong emotions that's guaranteed to show up in uh, our dreams because dreams are often a language for emotions Uh, i guess the most general thing is that it shows up in tons more dream recall for many people maybe some of the listeners will will call in and give us their personal stories. But since people, generally speaking, I think, have more time, and uh, maybe the time that they have is a bit more relaxed, like more spacious, don't have to wake up, you can sleep in, at least uh, maybe go to bed a bit earlier, the daytime, you can have more room for exercise, eating peacefully, it's not rushed to the office, this kind of thing. Uh, It allows much more, uh, I guess, time for recall. The, The dream channel, the info from the other side becomes clearer. So that's... That's about the biggest overall trend that pretty much everybody's had. And then the content starts being usually uh, sort of the pain and the fear at the start. Uh, Examples of I'm at the local, I guess, what is it? The supermarket, or I think it was also the mall. And everybody's touching everybody, and it's very dangerous because we could get infected. So I guess waking concerns transferred to our subconscious but the, the language of the feeling is a valid feeling i am feeling really concerned and where is my edge of what i want to do you know maybe a life and death choice to go out to, to shopping so it's obvious that's things and then uh, some people starting to see the more positive side 
I've actually been uh, lucky enough to tune in uh, a little bit maybe with uh, sort of clairvoyance or what I sometimes call tapping the collective conscious with uh, larger aspects of what I believe, A, some of the lessons are, and B, maybe even physical duration of this whole event for us, which could be valuable for people's hope and for their timeline, and maybe for their peace of mind to kind of have a sense of it. So for me, that's been one of the things, too. Well, something you just said there reminded me of, um, you know, I uh, some people collect, uh, I don't know, automobiles. Some people collect baseball cards. I collect quotes. I love quotes. Oh, and yeah. uh, when I went on, uh, I searched, you know, quotes about dreaming. And I don't think there's another topic that has so many quotes. I mean, everyone from the great bard to uh, uh, Stephen uh, or, or um, uh, Aerosmith, you know, uh, sure. you name on, it. Right? Yes, exactly. Every, but John Lennon had one, and you, you said something that just twigged that quote, which is, when we dream alone, it's just a dream. But when we dream together, it's reality. And I'm wondering if, if you, because you talked about tapping into the collective unconscious and conscious, and, and that we're all sort of now, humanity, all sort of dreaming on the same wavelength. And uh, that's, that's got to be a powerful thing. Yeah, I think there is that connection. That's been, I mean, I haven't been able to track that exactly other than the, some of the common dreams that people have a little bit. But let's say more almost connections across the inner net, basically tuning into mm-hmm. others. They're always there anyways, especially between close partners, twins, family members, because just like we like to reach out through Skype or uh, I guess Zoom now, or we reach out through the phone or, or however, sometimes we meet live, obviously. Uh, the same way we can reach out in dreams, and that's uh, been happening always. I've seen that plenty. But perhaps people are noticing that a little bit more. Hey, the internet, the invisible version in dreams of the internet, is actually a place where we can reach out to maybe somebody who needs help that we didn't know about and that kind of thing. So there's some of that being tapped. And then I guess the concerns, you know, markets uh, for the financial world is a big concern. So people are tuned into that concern. And then I guess the actual fear or challenges around family members or, or self who might have this you know, unknown disease that we've never really faced. No person up until what, two months ago, three months ago has ever had immunity or known what the experience is. So it's a huge unknown. And, and those archetypes will show up in, in people's dreams as a, a pretty archetypal feeling, but different specifics for each person. I gave one example before, but there are others. Right, right. Uh, is there a, a connection between the dreams we have at night and the hopes and dreams that we have for for our future. Yeah, that's a good one because people use that same word, you know, oh, I dream of someday getting out of self-isolation or, or whatever we're dreaming of. I dream of someday becoming a painter or, or some kind of dream that we hold for our future. We usually use that word. And then, of course, we use it to, to mean these experiences we wake up from at night, the, the dreams that kind of have the rapid eye movements and the, uh, usually a nap or a meditation or an overnight sleep dream. And the link is a bit less obvious, but I believe they're actually very strongly linked because the dreams that we hold for our future are often seeded with a thought somewhere, maybe a a few needs come in and come in as a thought. And those thoughts, if we start to track them, you'll find pretty closely, and I've seen quite a bit, they actually originated in dreams, if we track it closely, of the morning that we started to think about our future career or maybe our marriage or whatever the big event is. Oh, you know what? That's interesting. I had a dream that seems on the exact same theme the morning that I started contemplating that new choice or that new life path. In fact, uh, natives, a lot of the 
I guess, indigenous cultures worldwide. They'll actually choose quite consciously, like on purpose, to go on a vision quest and get the dream, the vision, the, the guidance from inside about what their best calling is, what their life path is. And, and that's actually how I chose my life paths as a person sharing dreams, uh, had a powerful vision, and later on more music. And so it can be a very powerful way to connect the dreams from the night and in the day if we realize uh, there's, there's a pretty strong connection. And, and the link that I think makes it valuable for people, not just what do our dreams mean? That's a great question. It's about since 100 years, I guess, Freud and Jung and some of the early forefathers were analyzing content and what it might mean. But nowadays, and, and what I really encourage is, hey, let's, like uh, the Yoko Ono, I believe, quote that you said, let's find a dream that we can live together. So if I dream of something that's a new creative idea, a song, or a radio guest, you know, if I'm a radio host, or as me, I dream of a way to do a talk or, or something to mention on a radio interview or to write in a book, I'd like to actually ask, what does that want, that dream? And then bring that action to the world as some kind of creative product or connecting with a loved one or whatever the dream seems to want. And then our dreams actually do connect with everybody and become a joint reality. And usually our, our inner gifts come out. When you say whatever our dreams want, it almost makes it sound like the dreams are apart from from us. It's almost like it's another intelligent entity or it's coming from somewhere else rather than just the manifestation of the mind almost opens up more questions than it answers right <laughs> indeed yes yeah well i don't want to create an artificial rift but generally speaking most people aren't directly connected with their innate wisdom in every moment and of course i'm one of those uh, and often, uh, the, you know, the dream channel or the info that comes as we waken that we usually call dream recall has lots of levels. And I don't want to say it's just always complete guidance from our deepest wisdom or our, our creative visions and things. But generally speaking, the, the noise of the senses is turned off. You know, when we're sleeping, the eyes are closed. We don't have the, the, the body's not moving so much. So that the tuning in or the inside info that's coming from our inner source, maybe the subconscious or even the collective unconscious, or if you want to think of it, our divine wisdom, some deeper level, it's actually coming through much clearer. So it's kind of when I say, what do they want? You might rephrase the question of, hey, what was the deeper part of me that might see a larger picture of my life want? And by the way, it sent a dream this morning that had some specific uh, tips in it, and I might contemplate that. So maybe that's a larger version of the same question that, that links up, hey, the deeper self is me. But it has a larger vision or a, maybe a sense of what's going to come and what's been passed and what I've forgotten. So it probably is drawing upon a larger wisdom than I have it, my immediate conscious self who's busy and going to the next appointment. <laughs> right. But why, why does it come to us sort of wrapped in mystery, cloaked in symbology? You know, when, sometimes when we read the Bible, we might think, why does Jesus talk in these strange parables why or right. you know why doesn't he just come out and say it why don't our dreams just come out and tell us what they want like point blank right <laughs> right right uh it's a good question i don't want to pretend to have the answer i can give you my answer i think every listener on these kind of pretty deep almost philosophical questions people should always make their own best choice so as a maybe quote unquote expert but somebody who's walked the terrain quite a bit i usually empower people first hey Everybody's best answer is, is probably part of the whole mosaic of the answer. But my answer to that would be 
uh, on one level, uh, there's sort of like a, during the exam, sort of an analogy here, but during the exam, it doesn't make sense for uh, the teacher to give you all the answers. That was what the semester was for and your research at home and your projects and your your presentations and things during the semester. But during the exam, you don't want to, you know, get point blank what the answers are. Otherwise, there's no point to to what you learn and it's sort of a fake and you, you might go to the next level without the proper training. So inside info about how to exactly solve every problem and every relationship and choose the perfect path at every moment doesn't leave any leeway for our creative freedom, for us learning and growing. And I, I believe on Earth here, it's a bit of a school. So our deeper wisdom, our psyche, whatever you want to call it, uh, actually wants us to grow and learn and become somewhat independent. And then at other moments, you know, we're going down the wrong path and maybe we're going to repeat a recurring loop of something unhealthy, kind of like that movie Groundhog Day. Have you seen that one? <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, many oh, times. Right. Yes. And it's got the good wisdom of it's okay to go after some of the, I think in the movie they actually go through the chakras in order, you know, the food and then sort of sex and money, power. And then so there's kind of a certain order to our desires. But later on, and as we move through the different things we want in life, our deeper wisdom keeps nudging us towards, hey, you know, these things you think you want out there in life, the relationship, the house, the car, the job, the role, whatever we want, uh, there's actually a deeper, rich feeling that you actually want behind the things. And the, the inner wisdom coaches us towards different strategies and different goals to to get really clear with uh, sort of the truest, truest, richest feeling of, I think, connection with our divine probably service to others. So we get nudged along our life path. And then also full connection with our innate wisdom that once we realize, hey, wow, this whole thing is like the dream of life is uh, actually something I can be quite free of. I still have to play the be in the play as one of the actors, but I don't have to get buffered around by every little scene and stressed and wiped out. You can have a little more, uh, I guess, witness approach. And the inner guidance or dreams, I guess, is a specific form of that. They're always coaching us towards that, but they, they nudge us. They give hints. They want us to kind of create, learn, and, and make a co-creation of our life. That's my sense. Do you that's have a, a, you that's have a, a great answer. Uh, what you said. <laughs> <laughs> hey, no, I like your answer. Sort of confidence. <laughs> I love your answer. Uh, I guess that's why they call it a vision quest, right? We have yeah. to. We need an epic, an epic mission in our lives, and 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 that's the quest. Um, we just have a few minutes here before the break, but I just wanted to touch on this quickly before we move on to other things. And uh, you have a, a degree in physics, right. uh, which is, you know, is a very um, analytical and uh, type of mind that's required for that. But how did and how did you start working with dreams, which seems kind of an a, uh, not strange, a, a wonderfully strange inter intersection of careers? Yeah, thanks for that. That sort of honors parts of my uh, larger psyche, the larger me that don't always hook up well or connect. But over time, we've learned to get along, let's just say. <laughs> uh, so I did do the degree in physics. During the degree, I actually had a powerful near drowning. I don't know wow. if you remember. I think I mentioned to you, but I got stuck under a raft, whitewater rafting. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. So long story short, I kind of had a powerful vision of, well, I'm dying and came to a rich peace. And, and out of nowhere, because I wasn't really tracking them or interested before that, but I started remembering up to 10 dreams a day, having lucid dreams. Maybe we can talk after the break. And then over a little time, integrating all these strange new inside info with uh, the world I had before that, physics and nuts and bolts and 
you know, Newtonian laws. Long story short, I ended up integrating what I now call subjective science, first-person dreaming and inside info with the outer science that I think they can eventually work hand-in-hand. Eventually. Wow. I can't wait for that to, to, to all come together. Will I live long enough to see it? Uh, well, hopefully uh, I'll get somewhere <laughs> along the beginner realm. I'm not sure I'm anywhere near intermediate yet. But at least I have a map of where I'm headed. <laughs> well, that's important. Absolutely. Uh, Craig Webb is my guest, the executive director of the Dreams Foundation and uh, the author of The Dreams Behind the Music. And when we come back, we'll, we'll talk about some well-known artists uh, who had dream visits from deceased loved ones. Uh, you often hear uh, people like Paul Simon and Paul McCartney and others talking about how they are merely the retransmitter. They are not the author of these songs, many of them uh, anthemic, the, the soundtracks to our lives. They are, they are simply uh, retransmitting what they have received from the dream world. Inventors talk a lot like that, too. Back with more of our conversation when The Conspiracy Show continues. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Craig Webb is with us, the executive director of the Dreams Foundation. And uh, we are also talking about uh, uh, the, the way that dreams intersect with creativity. He's uh, the author of The Dreams Behind the Music. Uh, before we get to that, you, you mentioned during your near-drowning experience, uh, or after, rather, your near-drowning experience, you began uh, to uh, have tremendous dream recall, something like 10 dreams a night, uh, so that you attribute d- directly to the the near drowning experience, or was there something else that you were doing uh, to enhance that recall? Oh, yeah, no, I, I don't do any drugs, so it might sound <laughs> like it to the listeners, but uh, I, I seem to get pretty strongly connected without that avenue. I, it's all in retrospect, so it's sort of my interpretation of what happened. I just at first tell the data that I did start to remember up to 10 dreams a day. And, you know, not just until the shower or breakfast, you know, how dreams kind of disappear pretty quickly. Yes. Uh, they would last into the afternoon, into following days from the day before. I remembered a few. And so what I later interpreted and understood was that the floodgates has opened to some part of my psyche that I hadn't really been paying any attention to. You know, as you said, the physics was very logical, analytical, sort of very left brain, nuts and bolts, how the world works. But I had started with the question of asking, like, how do all these things work? What's going on in the universe and in people and sort of a larger, maybe almost philosophical question? And did the physics agree? And I sort of think that just because I went so strongly into one side of the psyche, that the intuitive side and maybe the emotions and the whole part that I had been leaving behind pretty much in my degree just came really strongly pushing through. And I almost actually view the stuck under the raft for maybe 30 seconds, a minute or however long it was, because I just remember sort of feeling, wow, I'm dying. Rich, rich, deep peace, which I wouldn't expect. You know, I thought drowning might be (laughs) stressful and I didn't have any air and I I did have a helmet, but I was stuck under. So I just kind of attributed something happened where it sort of whiplashed and the other part of me spoke up really clear and I rebalanced. So I started having intuition open, which intuition and dreams are kind of the same thing. 
started having 10 dreams a day, lucid dreams, dreams of the future that were very clear. Have you ever dreamt something that you feel uh, came true later, Richard? Well, that's a tricky thing because not having written them down, uh, sometimes I'm, I wonder whether I'd dreamt something before it happened, but then, yeah. you know, again, it's difficult to say. Or like uh, right, right. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure whether I, I dreamt, uh, something before it happened, but sometimes I think I may have, but again, no documentation. I need to write my dreams down. Yeah, and if we took a poll of the listeners, uh, they might be quite surprised because we don't often talk about these things too much. Sometimes uh, it's a bit taboo or otherwise we just don't focus on it so much like me and my physics degree. I wasn't against it, but it just didn't really spark my interest. There was lots of other things going on in the out there world. Uh, but if we took a poll, actually two out of three people would pretty clearly say, yeah, at some point I've, I've dreamt something that was pretty specific and came true within a fairly short amount of time that I could track it. Sometimes thematically, like the feeling and some of the characters were the same, but not the exact scenario. And then sometimes, you know, specific, exactly what I dreamt came true is almost impossible uh, within like a day or the same day or maybe a week later or something very short. So it gets interesting uh, when we can track it. About 1 in 12, this is research over, over a pretty large sample, 1 in 12 people have dreamt something very specific and then told or written about it or somehow recorded it beforehand with somebody else that then later came true. So that's pretty high percent of almost verifiable dreams. So it's happening out there, but uh, not so many people are talking about it and some don't believe it. But if they started to track it, I think it's kind of like uh, – you know, we all have empathy, but some of us don't use it as much as others. It's just a skill that's probably worth developing if we realize it can really help us and help others. But it's a it's a challenging skill. I can tell you after exploring the realm of tuning into advanced events in advance here as a let's say recovering thinkaholic physicist, as I sometimes playfully call myself, uh, it's quite a challenging skill. You know, a lot of responsibility comes with knowing things and then having to act differently with that knowledge. So, so could you give me an example of a recent prescient dream that you've had? Uh, yeah, sure. Well, uh, I, I'll just say a big one that might be on a lot of listeners' mind, and they can see if it plays out. But I dreamt pretty clearly, and for me, I, I dreamt it twice, actually, in different formats of the duration of this whole pandemic, at least probably for Canada, because that's where I'm located, is going to be about eight months or nine months, I guess uh, maybe about eight months or so from here. But when I first dreamt it, about nine months, uh, and go towards about Christmas. I don't think it's a perfect fit because obviously there'll be waves yes. uh, sort of going out more, and then unfortunately it starts again. So I did dream that it was going to be waves. And I think some of it will end, like some of the border blockages and this and that should end before other things like maybe international travel for pleasure and stuff, but a lot more than the two, three weeks we were initially told and even maybe the month or two. So people can see if that plays out. And I even have questions like tonight on the show. Is that some kind of inside info that I share? Maybe it doesn't make a huge difference in people's lives, but it could really affect some people's choices. And it certainly affects choices I make. Are there more specific things? I've, I've dreamt many times for other people's health. Uh, and very things that I probably wouldn't known about specifically and that I check later and that's hugely important to them almost that day or that week or something where they're going to have an accident. Uh, many dreamers sort of dream to protect. Mothers often have dreams of protection for their kids, which is natural. Uh, you know, people sort of dream what they 
what they can do something about. I'll give you an example here that's not from me, so I'm not just selling. But I, I did want to make it a little personal. That Usually a few times a week, I'll have a pretty clear prescient dream. But uh, our friend Bono, you know the U2 singer? Yes. From uh, the rock group there. For, for the younger generation, you might not have heard uh, Sunday, Bloody Sunday, and The <laughs> Name of Love, and some of the newer ones, Innocence album. Uh, he had a very powerful experience. He wasn't sure if it was quite a wake dream or he was just imagining listening. But during the night, he uh, was... I guess before a performance at Wembley Arena, he was listening to a soundtrack from Blue Velvet, which uh, is a David Lynch movie. And the soundtrack yes. had, uh, I think, Roy Orbison's In Dreams, the song In Dreams on it. Maybe our producer can cue it up there. It's a great one. Uh, but uh, he sort of heard that, didn't really, wasn't listening. He was half asleep, a little stressed out. But then he woke up with this sort of melody and song and a few lyrics. Mystery girl, she's a mystery to me. And I was kind of like, oh, that. That must be Roy Orbison. I'm sure it's Orbison. I guess that's on the album. And he looked there and he, he saw In Dreams, which actually was a dream-inspired song. In Dreams was dreamt by Orbison. He dreamt of Elvis <laughs> with the new hit. Ah, wow. So maybe it's had its alchemical effect on, on Bono's dreams. But there was no song Mystery Girl or anything like it. And he said, oh, okay, well, maybe I've just written it or whatever the Irish accent there is. <laughs> and he started working on it pretty inspired that day. And uh, he went to soundcheck and played it for the band members, The Edge and I guess the others, and said, does this sound like Orbison, Orbisonic? You know? And they said, yeah, actually, it's kind of catchy, sort of an Orbison tune. Uh, where, where'd you get it? He said, oh, I dreamt it this morning. And so they were kind of like, oh, okay, cool. And they, they did the whole performance. you think he'd be tired, right, after like encore and the whole... <laughs> One would but think, actually, yeah. in the dressing room, he started working again on that exact song. And I guess he was really into the creative process and didn't want to lose it, which is a good little suggestion for creators or anybody getting a, a dream insight. It's good to catch it while it's fresh. So he was there, and there's a, suddenly a knock on the door, and the security guard says, uh, it's a bit unusual here, uh, but uh, Mr. Orbison is here to see oh, you. Oh, get out of town. Uh, so that's what the guys in the band said. Oh, you were pulling our crank. You know, it's not possible. You knew all along, and blah, blah, blah. And Bono said, I swear to you, you know, I had no clue. I never met him. Didn't know he was in London. Certainly not at our concert. And then, uh, so he came in, you know, after, after the guys eventually said, ah, oh, come on, come on. He came in, and the first thing he said was, I liked your concert. I don't know why, but I definitely liked it. My children liked it and told me to come check it out. And the second thing out of Orbison's mouth, standing there beside his wife, was, do you have a song for me? Because I feel you might, and I'd like to work with you. And that, like, everybody flipped, and we're falling over and everything. And Bono says, well, uh, I guess I, I do. Oh <laughs> and then he Lord. ended up being uh, the producer and recording of the, that song on Orbison's last album. And you know the movie that came out last Christmas, Aquaman? Yes. The, yes. the big song where Boy Meets Girl, where he met, uh, I guess it's that uh, British actress there. I forget her name. Right, right. But uh, Aquaman meets his, let's say, girlfriend. That was the song Mystery Girl. So it's a I think it's song. had lots of other, but it made it into a huge, huge movie at a pretty important time. And that's yes. kind of the alchemical power of these dreams. We don't exactly know always consciously where and what they want, but asking that question and just sort of showing up and listening to the, the nudges that we get as we work on it. That can bring some pretty major gifts, at least personally, but sometimes publicly, like, like Bono. That's that's an incredibly powerful and just very, very cool, uh, that story. Uh, and, of course, and this is what you write about, of course, in, in the dreams behind the music. Yeah. And you, you, you dedicate a whole chapter to people, artists actually collaborating 
in their dreams, it would appear. I mean, it's hard to imagine that that happens. I mean, Orbison wasn't exactly collaborating with Bono, but he seemed to have a sense that Bono had a song for him and showed up at just the right moment. But have have songwriting duos actually collaborated in a dream state? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Huh? Like uh, sort of like we have Zoom or Skype or one of these things nowadays. Can we do it in dreams? Uh, anybody who's sort of tracked their dreams for a while can say, yeah, sure, of course, I've done it plenty. You can start to see that whatever manifests in the outer world, as above, so below. In other words, the, there'll be an inner correlate to any kind of big development in the world. The movie camera appeared at the same time as dreams started making it in public. I don't know if you noticed the connection. Edison actually would often take his actual dreams. You know, he'd encourage his employees to nap. And he was the one who he didn't exactly invent it but who brought the kinetoscope and the camera and actually the, the link-up of music to the camera to the public. So the private dreams of an inventor become public as movies. And many, That's many other things. So it's natural that any kinds of things like collaborations between artists happen in dreams. One that's interesting, uh, well, Bono, by the way, not just with Roy Orbison, he was a, I mean, still is probably a tune dreamer for, for big collaborations. He also dreamt a whole big collaboration with Bob Dylan, <laughs> the oh, same kind of freaky... Craig, I'm going to I'm going to uh, pardon the interruption. I'll jump sure. right in, and we'll uh, we'll take a quick timeout. We'll come up and we'll pick up on uh, artists who collaborate through their dreams. Craig Webb from the Dreams Foundation, back with more on the Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Keeping an eye on the new world order. This is the Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And welcome back. Craig Webb from the Dreams Foundation stays with us. Coming up in Hour 2, Ali Siadatan, documentary filmmaker, will be here to discuss coronavirus and biblical uh, prophecy. And uh, uh, off the air, Craig had a, a, a brilliant idea, came to him in a dream. Um, he would love to hear from listeners if you've had a, a prescient dream, a precognitive uh, dream, uh, or or a precognitive nightmare. I suppose uh, we could uh, certainly entertain your call, and uh, the numbers to call four one six three six zero zero seven forty. That's in the Greater Toronto Area four one six. 3600740 and toll free from just about anywhere 18667404740 18667404740 uh before the break you were talking about collaborations in the dream state and you mentioned uh, bono again uh, bono rather and uh, bob dylan uh, what happened there so pretty much like the Orbison connection we spoke about, he uh, dreamt uh, a song. Same thing for Bono, and he felt, oh, this must be a Bob Dylan song. <laughs> and so he uh, actually reached out that day that he dreamt uh, to Bob Dylan, called him up, or I guess got his agent or somebody to connect and find the number. Never spoke to him before, but over the phone they said, yeah, let's do it. And they did, and they recorded a song together that, uh, well... At the time, Dylan didn't share, but later he did in his performances because he was with the Traveling Wilburys then. But Bono and uh, U2 has shared online. There's there's quite a number. Uh, the uh, There's a strange aspect, and I'll just mention for callers because 
can come back to collaborations in a sec, but like uh, we're talking about a precog nightmare that might be interesting or, or even just a nightmare upsetting dream. Sometimes we can offer quick insights that really help somebody. So hopefully we'll hear from some folks. But John Lennon had, uh, I think, both there, precog and sort of a nightmare. Actually, three. Two of them were upsetting, but three dreams that kind of came in a series. Our, our famous Beatle here had uh, dreams of what I think together, if you piece them together and kind of do a little bit of a collage, come pretty close to predicting his own murder. He dreamt mm-hmm. of being in a, in a restaurant with a chubby stranger coming in, so chubby, and wearing spectacles, very specific glasses, just like the, the murderer did. The, the assassin, I guess, and holding a revolver, the exact same kind of gun that the. And then in a second dream, I don't think the same night, but quite close to it, a day or two, he dreamt of somebody outside the Dakota who was very questionable and asking him all kinds of things. And the Dakota was his hotel where, unfortunately, his uh, murderer came and was asking questions and meeting with him. And, and the, the terrible event happened. So putting. And he was pretty nervous after the dreams. Like he knew this was something real, not just random. But a year later was the event. So, you know, he's a busy gent and he probably wasn't thinking about it at the time that it happened. So could it have been avoided or not? We don't know. But it was definitely hinted at pretty clearly and pretty specifically. Um, my uh, my late radio partner, R. Gary Patterson, uh, was a rock and roll historian, and uh, he told me this story uh, involving John Lennon, Paul McCartney, and Carl Perkins. And this was uh, uh, several years after Lennon's death, and it was just before Carl Perkins died, and he decided to uh, collaborate with, with Paul McCartney. And so McCartney came to the United States, and... Um, uh, came into the studio and, and Carl said to, to Paul, I, I have a song that sort of came to me in a dream the other night and um, I'd like to play it for you and, 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 and see what you think. And uh, it was called um, Think of Me Once in a While. And he played the song and McCartney just broke down and started to sob uncontrollably. Uh, which is very unlike the, the, you know, he's rather stoic. And um, after he, he, McCartney left the studio and Linda came back in, uh, Linda McCartney came back yeah. and uh, Carl said, did I, I'm sorry, did I say something to offend him? And he said, uh, Linda said, no, uh, just not too long before John Lennon died, Paul came to the Dakota to visit with him. And uh, as they said goodbye, they hugged. And Lennon said to him, I'll see you, maybe think about me once in a while. The last words he said to McCartney, and it, that song came to Carl Perkins. The exact lyrics. Wow. In other words, a bit of a like a wink from beyond the veil or something like it, maybe. Yes, yeah. Sort of a collaboration in the dream state, if you will. Yeah. And maybe nobody, now we can tell the story and it makes sense, but outside that moment, unless we tracked it a little bit, nobody except McCartney could have told the, the link and the connection, but it was hugely important for him. So sometimes they're private, but uh, sometimes they're more public. For example, Jimi Hendrix, uh, before he was a big dreamer, by the way, uh, dreamt some of the Purple Haze and some others, uh, not necessarily always free from uh, substances, but definitely tuning in <laughs> on, on other levels. And then after, I guess, graduating from Earth, I like to say, beyond passing beyond, he would often come, and maybe still does, to, to super guitar players especially, because that was his... So Stevie Ray Vaughan had a powerful dream where, you know, he was... T- I guess Jimi Hendrix was teaching him. He called secret chord changes. 
And uh, Stevie's wife actually verified, yeah, he was lying in bed and uh, he was reaching his arm out in his kind of fashion when he's doing really hard riff solos and gritting his teeth and stuff. So uh, that was the night that uh, Jimmy came and taught him some secret chord changes. So perhaps he's actually kind of visiting. And then a few others, the Almond Brothers, he brought them a song. So I believe there's some kind of link, at least with the energy or maybe the vibe or the, the creativity of that soul. But we can also maybe extend it to say, yeah, somehow the being is uh, still doing their service of bringing gifts to Earth and they just do it through the living. Who knows? Do you think that m- might have something to do with the the possibility that i mean i believe that the mind exists outside the body it's not a product of the brain uh and if it exists outside the body out it's 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 not material therefore it's eternal therefore you could say it 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 exists outside of time and space so there is no past present and future there's just the now as far as the mind is concerned yeah, maybe after the break we can get a little bit into that. I think uh, we're. Y- you know the show clock better than I do. You're right. I'm telling you. That's a precognition. There you go. Craig Webb is from the Dreams Foundation, and we'll uh, talk more dreams and nightmares when the conspiracy show continues. Stay with us. Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Welcome back. Just before the break, I was kind of uh, wondering about the the existence of the mind outside of the body uh, and so forth. We'll come back to that in a minute. I just want to grab a quick call here. David is checking in from Arizona tonight. David, good evening. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Hi, I'm great. Uh, Thank you for taking my call. Um, I I tune in all the time. I have been for years. Um, Thank you. My question for for, uh, your guest, Mr. Webb, was uh, I've had a few incidents. Um, in my lifetime, where I I, uh, I had a uh, a dream of a place that I'd never been to, you know, um, just kind of a benign, uneventful dream of just like being in a locale that I, I'd never uh, ever traveled to, and then um, the, the first one materialized. That it, it, it's in a uh, place in the White Mountains in Arizona. Uh, I, we'd been there before camping, uh, you know, with my family as we were younger, but. Um, I mean, it, it just, uh, it was an old, dusty, colored, uh, uh, sort of like a, a blue, dusty, colored uh, old service station that's no longer, um, uh, it, it's defunct, you know, it was probably from the 40s. And, like, uh, when I was about 18, 19, I, I'd go with my brother, we'd go on a camping trip after I graduated high school, we're just kind of, you know, doing something in the summer, but we'd go to a town that we'd never been to to before, you know, we wanted to kind of uh, um, just do a little more exploring as far as campsites, and uh, and there it is. It's just, just, just <laughs> kind of, uh, it's a fork in the road, uh, and there's this old gas station. And then I, I, I just remember, I, I'd seen that in my dreams. You know, I'm 56 years old now, but but uh, I just, I never forgot how did this image, uh, like, manifest in real life. It's always been there, but I'd never been to that town, and it's not the first time, and, and there's sort of this missing link in these, this chain of dreams that I'm waiting to see for this next one to materialize. 
And I'd like to ask your, you know, your guest what his take is on that. I don't know what you call it, precognitive uh, location dream. Yeah. Well, thanks, David. That's an awesome question. I bet you a lot of people can resonate and uh, connect with you because they've tuned into something. Uh, the words don't matter so much. Some more common words are that might be like almost clairvoyance is something that you see that is later a physical location. So you can kind of see it at a distance. A physicist, uh, my science part of me might call it remote viewing, <laughs> but it's really kind of the same inner talent. It's also sort of precognition because it's something that you later experienced that you dreamt beforehand, right? So it's some of tuning into the future. And they all overlap a little bit. Like we have the colors of the spectrum, there's slight variations, and we have the inner types of perception, but they're all light or they're all ways of tuning in and getting info. My guess is uh, partly why it happened uh, would be the, the question you had, how does that work? Because our psyche and our deeper wisdom wants us to start developing different skills. And, you know, you probably weren't thinking about it, or maybe you were consciously wondering, but it's giving it a little kickstart for something that's way out of the ordinary, that doesn't get taught in many schools, and yet it's there direct in your face, and at least personally, and maybe even if you told your brother ahead of time, uh, you both have something that's a strong anomaly or some very unusual thing in your face. You have to start having a new model of how life and the mind and world and time work. A little bit like Richard was getting at with his, his idea of the great now that we can tune into events across time or across distance somehow. And that question of sort of how does it work, I might even encourage you to ask why. I sort of answered a little bit of why, but then you can say, okay, but why me and why then? And there'll be an answer inside you. I probably can't answer it because it's your life. But the why could be an interesting answer. And if you ask it, it's like planting a seed. The, the plant will grow. The question, the answer will come. If you don't ask it, it might just pass by and maybe a gift won't get unwrapped or something good. So that's what I encourage. But it's not too uncommon, just so you know you're not crazy. But uh, there's probably a gift there if you want to develop it. Thank you for that, David. So that's interesting. Uh it's not so much we we do we focus on what was that all about how did that happen rather than what do we do with that and it's almost like you're playing a video game and all of a sudden there is this artifact that's dropped into the into the the video game and then you're supposed to react to it somehow uh you know you you interact with it do i do i try to open it do i go around it what am i supposed to do with this thing that just appeared in my life Right, right, right. And the video game of life is the analogy, right? Right, right. So, so maybe it's the narrator kind of all of a sudden appearing, if it's a video game analogy, and saying something that's a little bit of a, you know, in these video games, we usually gather different skills or different, I guess, tools for later on in the game. Maybe it's the narrator saying, hey, there's a really valuable tool that we'll need you to have in two years when maybe your mom's going to be suicidal or when you're going to have a health problem and you could have avoided it beforehand if you caught the nightmares early. Or some kind of early hint at something that could be developed and later on would become important. But they, the narrator, because it's kind of a mystery game and we sort of get one step at a time like the scavenger hunt, the narrator's not going to tell you all the exact reasons exactly why right there. It just kind of nudges you into learning it. That's my guess, and that's often how it comes. Very cool, very cool. So back to the idea of the, the mind existing outside the body, being eternal, uh, there being no past, present, or future, it's just now. Uh, could that explain why we we think we have precognitive dreams and 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 why we dream what we dream? Yeah, sure. I think even just the question itself almost is self-answering. 
because outside of time is kind of where that part of the mind comes from. Dreams are pretty linked with uh, perceptions, let's just call them, uh, inner perceptions, inner senses that are away from physical senses to a large degree. Yeah, we can definitely dream about the coffee being brewed or the alarm incorporating or the maybe the phone ring incorporating into a dream. So sometimes we get a few physical bleed-ins. But more often than not, the data is coming from an outside source and then tuning into that source is what the gift is because it's free from time. So we can see things in the future and sometimes very practical things. Example from, from the book here, The Dreams Behind the Music, which hopefully people can check out. Dreamsbehindthemusic.com is the website. Uh, Charlie Wilson, pretty well-known, I think, sort of blues, jazz, and different kind of artists. Uh, his wife actually had a powerful dream that if he chose to, he could uh, you know, sort of record the song that she got in her dream and the lyrics and the music. And it was very specific. It said, you'll actually be nominated for a Grammy. Not that you'll win, but you'll be nominated if you follow it and create it. You know, if you build it, he will come. Right. And so they did. They took it. He recorded it right after waking. They just kind of worked on it. He got some good people. They recorded it. And exactly as she said, he was nominated for a Grammy. So probably he tuned in precognitively to a pretty rich future moment because uh, he'd had sort of different substance problems. And that was a bright spot after some pretty dark spots. So. Amazing. Amazing. It reminds me, there's um, Johnny Horton, uh, who was kind of a country folk singer from the early 60s. Uh, he, he wrote songs that told sort of they were history lessons. Uh, uh, the um, the sinking of the Bismarck and North to Alaska, and uh-huh. uh, he wrote that uh, song about um, oh about the War of eighteen twelve. I can't think of the um, the Battle of New Orleans. Yeah. And uh, but there was one song that he recorded called Johnny oh, Rebel. Johnny, uh, yes, uh, and Johnny Rebel uh, was another one of his hits. And his songwriting partner, who was also his neighbor, um, had a like a dictaphone by his bed, and he. He woke up and uh, in the middle of the night, his wife remembered this, and he he seemed to have written this song in his sleep, and he recorded it in his sleep because he woke up the next day. He had no memory of it. Right. He said, how did this get on? The, and his wife said, you woke up at three in the morning. Don't you remember? He, said, he had no clue. And Johnny Horton, his, his best friend and, and the singer next door, recorded the song word for word, and it was a huge hit for him. Uh, do you know which song? It's called Johnny Rebel. Oh, okay. I'm going to actually yeah. track that one. That's a story I didn't know. You'd be surprised. There's about, I only tracked about 220, I think, now artists, but probably most creatives and not just musicians actually dream or at least on some level sort of get that quiet waking thought that becomes a huge hit rather than just working on it analytically, which can sometimes work, but has less chance of kind of the big collective conscious gift from below that really wants to speak to many. So, I encourage people to kind of check out the, the inside info of dreams as a potential huge creative gift and then many other ways in their lives, too. And uh, how do we get a copy of the Dreams Behind the Music? Oh, well, uh, that's, thanks for asking. Dreamsbehindthemusic.com is uh, the direct website if you want to read a little bit more and see it. Or just go to Amazon.ca or Amazon.com. That's an easy way. Or if people want to write me, I often bring it and have it at talks, but... It might be far for them to do that. So you usually just order it online. We'll try to get you a copy, Richard, because it sounds like you're pretty interested. Oh, it's just it's it's a fantastic uh, subject area. I mean, I could just talk about this with you all night, and we'll we'll do it again some night Great. soon. I hope Great. dreams dreams.ca the best way to reach you. 
Uh, yeah, or craigweb.ca is kind of my speaker site. Uh, dreams.ca is a little retro in look, but it's got some great content about nightmares, lucid dreaming. And uh, craigweb.ca is a little more of the speaker site and some of the articles that people might be interested in. So thanks for, for mentioning it so people can have resources. Craig, it's always a delight. Let's do it again soon. Great. Craig Webb, The Dreams Foundation. Alicia Adetan on the other side talking coronavirus and biblical prophecy, not all doom and gloom. I promise you. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Thanks for inviting me into your home, long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed rec room with a simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. A heartfelt hi. How are you? To each and every one of you listening in on our flagship station, AM 740 and 96.7 FM, Zoomer Radio in Toronto. And hello to those of you tuning us in on one of our affiliate stations. Howdy to those of you streaming us live on the Zoomer Radio app or at zoomerradio.ca or on our Strange Planet YouTube channel. And those of you loyal listeners who gather in the YouTube chat, uh, live chat every week, however and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes and I thank you for your wonderful company. Alice Yadatan from Think Again Productions is here to discuss the coronavirus and biblical prophecy. Before we get to that, just a reminder, the April edition of my free monthly newsletter, Inner Sanctum, will be published in a couple of days. So don't miss out. You can register to receive it at strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca. Do that right now, and uh, you'll still have time to uh, receive the April uh, edition of Inner Sanctum. And all we need is your name and email. And then it'll be delivered every month for free into your email inbox. Inner Sanctum. Register right now at strangeplanet.ca. Is the coronavirus mentioned in the Bible? Does it have a role to play in the end times or the tribulation? Here to discuss is a great friend of the program, Ali Siadatan, is the founder of Think Again Productions in Canada, a multimedia teaching ministry shedding light on mysteries and treasures of scriptural knowledge, which is making the Bible more real than ever. Ali has found evidence keeping, which keeps agreeing with the Bible's tale, from biblical cities peering through the sand to alien abductions and prophetic events. In 2006, Think Again Productions released the groundbreaking documentary UFOs, Angels, and Gods on Google Video. It received 270,000 views in just nine months. In 1996, Siadatan completed a master's degree in French language and literature at the University of Toronto. In September of 99, he he answered a call and opened a center to minister to urbanites through martial and healing arts, as well as spiritual studies for seekers. He has a black belt in Kung Fu and has been training since 1991. His research into UFOs has inspired him to write a work of fiction, which is in progress, as well as a second documentary on the rise of the Antichrist titled Goliath Rising, Hybrids, Nephilim, and Titans. Alicia Adetan, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. How are you, my friend? Very good. Thank you so much for having me, Richard. It's a pleasure to be here. 
Uh, we were talking a little bit earlier about you know the some of the good things that are coming out of uh, you know the self isolating and self uh, uh, you know and quarantining and so forth. Did you did you have any thoughts on on that that subject matter before we talk about the the pr- prophetic angle of it? Yeah, I think that you know the 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 love of uh, of God and all that is good about life, all the good stuff about life is always present in the midst of all kinds of you know adversity. And when we open our eyes to the things in our life that uh, are benefiting from what is happening right now, um, I think it's good to acknowledge that as well. And and it's it's uh, edifying, you know, to focus on those things. And do you think that? that there is a divine purpose behind this this uh, outbreak, this pandemic? I think that um, the idea with God is that he allows, uh, you know, this, this reality that he's created of conscious beings, uh, be it the host of the heavens or the host of the earth, um, he allows these conscious beings to live out their purposes, um, and doesn't interfere like, in, a, in a robotic way, like he's controlling people or controlling situations. And he's created uh, agents of free will, and he's allowing this story to unfold. However, nothing happens without his ultimate um, permission. His sovereignty is, is complete. So in that sense, everything has a divine purpose. Everything is moving forward according to the ultimate plans, the mysterious uh, plans, the unsearchable plans of God, which we only know about because he's chosen to reveal some of it to us. The, um, the plagues that uh, befell uh, Egypt during, uh, you know, Moses' time in the, in the book of Exodus, yeah. uh, are there other mentions besides those plagues? Uh, are there other plagues that are mentioned in the Bible at all? Well, <clears throat> there are, you know, plagues and pestilences that come through the history of Israel um, it is sometimes because of sins, so there's this idea of, you know, if you repent, if you turn back to me, to my ways, and kind of confess and let go and come back, I will, you know, heal the land. That is what it actually says of things like this. Um, prophetically, uh, there is another time in history that draws heavily from the events of Exodus and the Pharaoh and the spiritual forces behind them and a series of plagues. And that's in the book of Revelation. And it talks about all kinds of things like this coming on the final uh, imperial structure that is in place before the second coming. That one is also hit with a multitude of, you know, judgments. Um, King David, you know, does a census of the people, which is something that is against God's law, and that unleashes a plague over Israel. Um, so the plagues definitely are part of what is possible in the creation of God. Sometimes it is used as judgment by God over angelic uh, principalities and their representatives, sometimes, you know, over his own people. Um, there is Psalm 91, for instance, that um, <clears throat> I think is a very powerful psalm to know at this time. Um, and I'm just pulling it up. I'll read a little bit of it. I think just the first few verses, it says, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. 
I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. Um, Mm. He shall cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness nor the destruction that lays waste at noonday. So there's this idea that being in, taking, making God one's refuge and one's fortress and trusting in that quality of God and just having faith in that quality of God and calling upon it shields the person from, you know, pestilence, which is, in a way, another word for what we're calling plague. It's the same thing. So there is this idea, well, if... God, if didn't this, this was not going to be part of reality, the, then why would God, you know, provide some sort of refuge from it? So, it has a purpose, and as we were saying, it's interesting. Perhaps it's it's, it's helping people realize what's really important to them, as as everyone is kind of, you know, isolated in their homes. It's a bit of a reset. Uh, at first, you know, there's a transition, and then a person starts to settle in. You're not engaging in commerce the way usually you would. You're not engaging in, you know, kind of your routine that just fills your whole mind, uh, usually. And suddenly, perhaps, in these times, God can get our attention and say, look, there's a few things I want you to know about yourself, about your life, about maybe I want to give you a new vision. Maybe there's going to be a transition for you. So it's interesting how, you know, God meets us in these places. At the same time, it's uncomfortable. At the same time, it's, it's eerie, and at the same time, darker forces, uh, who are also aware that this is part of the menu of what's available in this life, may have plans and maybe have been waiting for such an opportunity to use it for their own purposes. So there's a lot of minds, including the mind of God, the mind of men, the Spirit of God, the fallen angels. All of these forces are engaging this thing. And so there's a lot of things you can you can kind of draw from why God would allow calamities like this. He creates calamities, he creates light, <clears throat> he creates goodness, he creates calamities. Like Job says, you know, we receive good things from God, shall we not receive, you know, calamity from God? So it's it's part of the menu, yet God's sovereignty is over, yet it's bound, it has uh, limits, it has a purpose, and in the midst of it one can find uh, both peace and insight even. And yet... God is, invites us to seek Him for refuge, um, and to not be touched by it, So, which is a wonderful thing. We have access to that possibility. Uh, suffering. Uh, you know, in the West, I mean, obviously there are, there are people who suffer in the, you know, from illness, and they suffer from mental anguish and loneliness and, and so forth. Those things are universal. It doesn't matter how, um, how uh, affluent um, society becomes. But for, for many people, uh, who haven't experienced trial, uh, you know, entire generations, uh, three generations now have gone by since the Second World War, right. more since the Depression and so right. forth. So, you know, uh, here I am 56 years old, and, and I have, you know, we all have personal loss and so forth, but the kind of things that test a generation's metal, as they say, yeah. we haven't had that in the West uh, so, I mean, talk to me about the the importance of of suffering. Right. So, the, the suffering, in the sense that it's not a noble thing, in the sense that it's not a stoic thing. That you know, we must suffer.
suffer because there's some sort of a nobility in in suffering. However, um, suffering is part of, and pain is part of what God has created for us because there is something in there that makes us grow. It's the it's the breaking of the of the shell that encloses our understanding. It's like it pushes us. It's like the hermit crab. It leaves its shell and is vulnerable to prey before it finds a larger shell in which it can grow. But it has to go through that vulnerability in order to grow. So there is some sort of growth that comes from pain and suffering and insight. And when we look at the story of Job, which is you know the story that people always point to as a study of suffering. You know, in <clears throat> the Word of God, like what, what does God have to say about this thing, suffering? And the story of Job shows us that God is in control of how much is going to be given to him. He he decides. He sets the boundaries. Um, it's not out of control. Job, as the story unfolds, is very uncomfortable. It's horrible. But at the end of the day, we see that he totally can take it. He actually has moments of deep insight in the midst of it, and then he comes out the other end even more blessed, even, uh, you know, has, he has more of everything he had at the beginning of the story. He's even a greater man than, than who he was to start with. So he, he lives through it, he gets wiser through it, a point is made on, on a great cosmic story, so it also serves a purpose. Man is put on trial. Is man worthy of the destiny that God assigns to him? And they, you know, Satan ultimately questions, and then God says, well, have you seen my servant Job? And that's what gets it going. Job passes the test, so there's a lot that comes from that. Um, now, God has a plan, ultimately, to end suffering, and I think that it's good to understand that it's part of the menu and, and, and has, has these boundaries and has a purpose, and it's okay to go through it and to grow through it. And, and it's, I think it's good to know that ultimately God has a plan to bring history to a place where there is no more suffering. Uh, it, its purpose is fulfilled, uh, and a new world is ushered in where there is no more tears, there is no more suffering, and we are in His presence. And it's also wonderful to know that we are going back to Eden, and even a greater Eden than the one we left, and God has made this possible through the Messiah and through you know, His loving kindness and the plans He has for us. So that's also hopeful. Um, I like the... Um, Hebrew idea that's in the Bible of peace. Um, I didn't know this until, you know, a while ago, that basically there are three uh, different definitions of peace. There's the Greek concept, and I don't mean the biblical, you know, Greek concept, I mean just the cultural Greek concept of peace that is used in the West, which is the absence of war. There's no war, there's peace, which makes sense. Right. Then um, there is, you know, the Islamic concept of hudna, which you know, the, the, the noble, you know, the very fervent religion of Islam seeks to bring its message to all the nations and feels it can't really completely ever rest until that is accomplished. So peace is always temporary, and it's called a hudna. Um, but in the, in the Hebrew concept, shalom is kind of a peace in the midst of adversity, a benediction in the midst of conflict. It's a way of saying, look, at this point in history, there will be wars, there will be famines, there will be pestilences, there will be the sword and the spear that hasn't been turned into plowshares and pruning hooks. That's coming. In this time, there will be diseases, there will be droughts, there will be hardness to, you know, make your living, there will be pain in childbirth, all of these things, there will be death itself. But in the midst of it, God makes room for his benediction, for his peace, uh, for his providence, and 
that is the biblical concept of peace. And so we have access to that when we make God our refuge. I think it says we enter into his peace. That's what's intended. And therefore, we're not bothered by all of these things. And yet we now uh, are still going through it. And, and we can now, from a different point of view, uh, even benefit uh, from being in the midst of it all. And, and it's, these are techniques available to the human condition. Like, you know, we have these realities happening to us. Okay, but what if the, this is all true? And what if God has, in, his, in, in the mechanisms of his creation, made these things also possible and, and kind of opened our minds to it through his word? We talked about how, you know, sometimes God... Uh, allows these things to happen, yeah. uh, but there are there are other forces that that uh, seize upon these moments. For there, I'm talking about uh, the other team, <laughs> shall right. we say? Right. Uh, that there are evil forces that that didn't necessarily create what has happened, but they seize upon it. They try and take advantage of it and and turn it to their uh, it to their advantage. Well, uh, I mean, so, they may have created it, we don't know, and they may have taken yes. advantage of it, as you're saying, but regardless, at the end, there's a plan that they have in, in all of this. Right, right. And it, so if we were talking about, uh, let's say, you know, the biblical end times, the, the rise of the Antichrist, the, the, uh, the, the tribulation, how does, and we're, we're coming up into a break here in about four minutes, but we'll... we'll start the conversation now and continue after obviously but how does the the uh, the current pandemic how could or might that play into end times prophecy well i'll give you a few kind of biggies if we look at it from the point of view that yes this is the signs are here this is perhaps very much the season of the end times in fact we are you know we may see the uh, witness the second coming of the lord it ultimately leads to a seven-year rule. That is where it's all headed. For seven years, there will be this rule of this man, and the last three and a half years is when it kind of goes into overdrive, and reality, you know, becomes, we'll experience all kinds of new things, angelic wars, uh, people dying and, you know, coming back from the dead on television, like in Jerusalem, prophets. I mean, it will be uh, lying signs of wonders, fire from coming from the sky. I mean, the last three and a half years is going to be just, we're getting closer to making contact with God and His angels, and we're entering that world in a very open way. And so we're headed towards this seven-year rule, and, and, and uh, if we see that, if we go, okay, that's really where we're headed, Hope we may see it in our lifetime, maybe it'll be our children, you know, I don't want to put a time, but I, I see that a lot of the signs are here, then how could this be used as a stepping stone to some of the things that are the characteristics of that rule as mentioned and described in the Bible, because there has to be stepping stones. The world has 7 billion people in it, a huge amount of structure. It has to be penciled in, prepared, shepherded, with very specific, uh, you know, principles and realities for it to fully, you know, unfold in that period. And uh, uh, I can, you know, mention a few big ones, and then we can open it up. Um, this is the first time we're we're really experiencing a common threat. Um, like the head of the uh, World Health Organization was saying that we have to act like one humanity united fighting one common threat. And so this is an interesting thing. It's a drill uh, where, you know, it's being penciled in. This is the first time where religious differences, 
political worldview differences, economic worldview differences, racial differences, none of these things suddenly matter for a moment if the whole world is facing something that can kill anyone uh, of any race or religion or creed or, or, you know, nation. So suddenly everyone can agree, let's deal with this before we go back to our fights. So suddenly there's a, there's a bit of a drill because after this we may start to think, okay, well, um, you know, what can we put into place if there are other common threats that may come? We may change certain things about the world and about what's in the hearts and minds of people. And, of course, the second coming is a common threat. It will be perceived that way, it says in the Bible. It says the nations will go to war against God and his angels. So there is this feeling of, well, in order to create that kind of an outcome where you snap the world into into place to fight a common threat, that might have to actually be, you know, uh, drilled in, placed in, infrastructured in, and in order to start creating that kind of infrastructure, you have to start to have common threats. So I find it interesting that it's got that quality to it, which, and again, I, I'd like to open this more. There's this idea of surveillance um, uh, and of technology that creates more of a interconnectivity between us and whoever is on the other end of the line, and that's the problem. Ali, I'm going to... Okay, I'm going to jump in. We'll take a quick timeout. We'll come back and we'll talk about surveillance in the age of the coronavirus pandemic. Ali Siadatan, Think Again Productions, back with more in a moment. Stay with us. The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To reach Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. Welcome back. If you love The Conspiracy Show, you're going to love my podcast, Conspiracy Unlimited. New episodes drop Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. To listen and subscribe, just go to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com, now available on Spotify. Uh, Ali Ziadatan from Think Again Productions. Before we proceed, how do people uh, screen UFOs, angels, and gods? Go to our website, thinkagainproductions.com, thinkagainproductions, one word, dot com. And right there you can click and watch it for free on, um, uh, on the website, and you can sign up for the newsletter just to be informed. It's free, but if you want to leave a donation because you like the work and it kind of, you know, uh, edified you or you just went, I needed to hear this, this is great, and you want to support our work, you know, click on the donation button, especially at this time. We'd appreciate it. Um, and you can also sign up for the YouTube channel. If you want to talk to me on Facebook, it's UFOs, Angels, and Gods. That's the Facebook page. All right. Before the break, we were talking about uh, uh, coronavirus and surveillance uh, and how that may uh, play into biblical uh, prophecy and end times. Right. And, uh, yeah, so let's pick up on that thread. Go ahead. Okay. So the first, uh, you know, the, the, the idea of a common threat, the second, surveillance, well, um, with, I was, uh, you know, you'd watch that stuff on China that they were putting in facial recognition. This was before the coronavirus. It was just enacted into law starting in January of 2020. Every Chinese citizen has to have an app. Um, and their faces, you know, recorded by AI, uh, and the, the, the cameras of the city, uh, like, I don't know, there's maybe over a billion cameras, like it's following them, and even when they go to buy groceries, and then they get graded based on their health choices, their, you know, did they help an old lady cross the street, do they smoke on a train a station where they shouldn't have, whatever, they get 
and penalized, or they get points, and based on that, they can rent apartments, get mortgages, travel, and leave the country. All kinds of things depend on the score. It's a way of, you know, they say it's, we have so much, so many people in this country. If we didn't have something like this, it would be chaos. We need to create some sort of a mandatory social behavior. We're kind of, you know, regulating it. It's big brother to us, and I think to a lot of the people there as well. You know, some people might say, well, in the Chinese culture, Confucian culture, they're more kind of, they're taught to, you know, just fall in line. It's a good thing. And some people may like it. We, but from the Western point of view, we'd look at this and go, wow, this is really weird. Like, this is very 1984. It's never going to happen here. California bans facial recognition. We feel we have civil liberties, you know. And it's just not part of the fabric of our culture. Then today I was watching... Um, a news piece on what's happening in Moscow. The government has uploaded facial recognition software on the cameras of the city that are everywhere. They're interviewing this guy. So if you come back from a trip in the airport, they recognize you, they record your face, and now if you go in and you don't respect your quarantine, they know the police comes knocking. So they interviewed this guy. He had uh, was supposed to be in quarantine. He had come down from his apartment building just to put his garbage in the garbage bins downstairs and went back up. He said half an hour later, the two police officers knocked on his door and wanted to know why he had left. And he was like, wait a second, how did you know? They're like, well, we have ways. And so this is what they've done. This is the way. It's not, a, it's not an unknown. They have put the AI software. And suddenly it's like, well, it's happening in the West in the name of safety, in the name of uh, security. And now he was saying, this man was, he was saying, I hope that they remove this. Once this passes and things go back to normal, it would be horrible if this becomes a standard. And we all know that usually, uh, perhaps even some countries more than others, when something like this is put on, it might not go away. Uh, you know, why would it? Right. Like income tax. It was supposed to be temporary <laughs> after the First World War, right? <laughs> right. 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 Uh, exactly. You know, it's like, uh, I like I like kind of Thomas Jefferson's take on it, taxation through representation. He's like, don't worry about it. It will still tax you like the king did, but this time you get to choose who taxes you. It's a really <laughs> nice, you know, twist on the whole thing. Like anyone would want to even choose anyone to tax them. But regardless, so uh, like taxation, it won't go away. And then there's the GPS phone um, tracing where, you know, for the safety of your community, we trace your phone. You see it already happening in China. You get these passes, QR codes, Wuxi Health Pass. You have to, you know... Uh, scan it, and if it's green, you can go on the subway, in the taxi cab, supermarkets. If you've been around hot spots, you know, it turns red. So it's for the safety of everyone, but this whole idea of GPS tracking, and uh, it's, it's being talked about in the U.K. There's an app you can download. It's kind of, they're trying to make it, in the U.K., it's more like, please download it at this point, rather than download it, like in China. Uh, so, yeah, you know, there is a bit of a cultural break, and I think, like, you know, you put your foot on the brakes. Uh, and we do have to put our foot on the brakes here because we have that voice, and I think we should be aware and say, okay, why? I get the argument of safety. It makes perfect sense in a, in a benign world where it really is for, you know, the safety of people because there might be a disease. I get that. You know, people have children, people have grandparents, and I get that. However, Unfortunately, we have learned, you know, a long time ago, and I think that's what was part of the theme of some of the, you know, European revolutions, starting with the Protestant uh, movement in Europe, that led to kind of a theme that, you know what, we don't always know who is on the other side of the line 
especially if we take the biblical point of view that there are houses of the fallen angels and their offsprings and their bloodlines and themselves that actually, you know, are on the other side of, of, of the line. And so if we kind of, you know, take that perspective, then suddenly this thing, and as I said, I think people will love to buy into it because it's for safety and everyone wants that, but this thing can lead to... Uh, again, uh, this um, um, prophecies talk about the mark of the beast and this intimate connection into the system where you can't buy or sell or do commerce if you don't have this thing. Um, so the combination of AI, 5G, speed internet, and the internet of things, which is coming, and it's in the next two to three years, I think, and now it's going to be accelerated in the name of health, it's going to transform the world as much as the Internet itself did. Now, a lot of people don't realize that. They think it's just the next speed. No, it is a complete revolution in the story of the Internet. It's going to change the world as much as the Internet itself did. So when you look at these prophecies, like in the 90s, we had this impression that one day we would wake up and bang, we would turn the TV on and, you know, those big box TVs... And then the, 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 someone would say, oh, everyone has to line up and get this mark, or everyone's going to now be under this, you know, uh, uh, rule. But now we see that now that we're closer to it, I, I think, and we're actually seeing, you know, how we couldn't have imagined these things. These They seem so futuristic. We see that they're actually stepping stones that have to be implemented to create what may ultimately become the, the, the structure of this seven-year rule, and um, we have to buy into it, and we have to want to buy into it. And it looks like from the small survey I've taken of my friends and neighbors, virtually everyone wants to buy into it. They're like, yeah, yes. you know, forget quarantine. I want, you know, let's have everyone tested. Let's have little gizmos in our home where we wake up and have our blood right. tested. And this I'm is like, disturbing really? to me. This is the most disturbing thing to me is, uh, yes, we need to take precautions. Uh, but but what what is is shaping up as is this battle between health and civil liberties. And what I see happening is most people are going to choose health. I mean, being a, being a, a free people, freedom is hard work. Freedom is risky. Uh, you know, that, that's why people are willing, but I mean, people are willing to die for it though. That's the point. And, and the idea that we can, we have to mitigate all risk. We have to not mitigate it, but reduce it to practically zero. Uh, we can't afford to, you know, for anyone to get sick or anyone to die. And I, God forfend anyone should die, but people will die. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we we put personal liberty on a shelf and forget about it for nine months while we wait for this thing to pass over. We can't do that. We can't allow that to happen because... But that's that's not what Western civilization is all about. Yeah, and the, the, this is the whole, you know, what you were saying before, that maybe there's a hand that wants to social engineer something that benefits them on the long run. And I would say that looking at the, the, the Antichrists, you know, the final one, because there have been many in, throughout history, these scepters of rule that, that the dragon gives, you know, the rule even in the temptations of the Lord, he said, you know, that... Dominion has been given to me, you know, by God over all the kingdoms of the earth, and I will give them to whomever I please. And that has been the case since the days of Mesopotamia, where in the city of Nippur, 
the scepter of Enlil was placed, where all the kings, you know, understood that it came from there, their power. And this then, you know, goes to, you know, to Babylon, uh, ultimately to, you know, to Medo-Persia, to Greece, and then to Rome. And from Rome, it goes in, in, into all the houses of the eagles, from Moscow to D.C. And so this has always been part of the story. But we are told there's a final transmission of this power that creates a kingdom that is the one that is, you know, met by the Lord himself coming. And, and there is this feeling of the characteristics of this kingdom and we being really, really connected to it. That's the, the intimacy that Mark suggests, a very intimate connection to the leader and to his system. And so I think that things like this can, can lay infrastructure that ties us into the system more and more where we get implants, we get all kinds of things, tests, in order to the name of safety and security. And to your point, I think that if people didn't have a secular view in life and put trusted God and trusted in his eternal life and entrusted in his healing power and trusted in his protection, then people would be less afraid. And also the biblical view enlightens us that there are hands behind the... So the, I don't think we can stop these things, because this is the prophecies are... I think we definitely can... Uh, put our imprint into it and, and, and say, no, we won't go for this, we want this. And I think that can create windows uh, where, where, where our, you know, uh, freedoms are, are extended. Uh, and okay, I've got to jump in, Ali. Apologies for the interruption. We'll take a quick time out, come back, and continue to uh, drill down on that point. Ali Siadadan, Think Again Productions, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Where there's smoke... There's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Ali Siadatan, Think Again Productions. We'll open up the phone lines uh, as well. Take questions and comments uh, talking about uh, coronavirus and uh, biblical prophecy. 416-360-0740 in the Greater Toronto Area. Again, 416-360-0740. 0740 and toll free from out of town 1 866 740 4740. Again, 1 866 740 4740. Just a reminder next week on the program, the return of John Barber for the full two hours, the, uh, the, the godfather of reality TV, the creator and host of Real People back in the 80s. Many people will remember that, but such a rich and storied. A career. Uh, he wrote for uh, people like uh, Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin, um, appeared on the uh, the Tonight Show, was a, uh, a guest host for Merv Griffin, and also uh, a, um, a man who interviewed Jim Garrison, uh, try, got Jim Garrison or tried to get Jim Garrison on his TV show and ended up getting fired for that. Garrison, of course, the uh, Louisiana or New Orleans uh, district attorney uh, who uh, was the only person to ever uh, try someone uh, for conspiracy to kill President John F. Kennedy. So John Barber, for the full two hours, uh, will be here next week. Alicia Adetan uh, stays with us until the top of the hour. And we're talking about coronavirus and biblical prophecy. So uh, we were talking about things like the mark of the beast and and uh, and how I, I sort of look at the, the, what's happening now as yet another beta test 
uh, again, we're being sort of introduced to some of these ideas. Uh, maybe they won't they won't happen this time. But you know, you know, in in another ten years, another twenty years, maybe sooner, maybe later, there'll be another outbreak, another pandemic, and they will up the ante uh, until eventually there will be a hard push for mandatory vaccines, or you'll have to take the app on your phone, which tracks you. Um, it, it, it's it's gradualism, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's happening much faster than that. I see that five G production is accelerating. I see that people are going to not completely go back to life as it was. They're going to be more online. The online reality is going to take off. Um, there's a business practicality that people are discovering that, hey, actually, there's actually some benefits on doing things online. Um, I don't know how long this will go on. They're saying now 18 months over and over again. That's the number that's being thrown around, that we're going to have to live a slightly different life until the vaccine is not only develop, but there's mass vaccination. Um, sure, there will be many different things. I think the environment and climate change, that whole idea. Um, I've done a lot of research into alien abductions and discovered that these were, in fact, the houses of the fallen angels doing this from you know the beginning of history. And often abductees say that they are told about how they'll be catastrophic environmental things and that these guys will help us. Um, there's that very famous, you know, sighting that happened in Zimbabwe in a private school, and Professor John Mack from Harvard went down, and there's a video, you can watch it on YouTube, and he's talking to this girl, they, they, all these kids in the schoolyard saw these beings, not only ships, but beings, and they ran in, like, scared, and so it was a very well-documented sighting and very well-witnessed, and one of the girls, she was saying, you know, this, he looked into my eyes, I started to have ideas about the environment and how we should take better care, it's a theme that comes in these abductions that, and I've been kind of watching from the corner of my eyes since the middle of the 1990s when I became familiar with this, and seen how the ramp up and the politicizing of this environmental issue, again, a transnational threat like pandemics that involves all humanity, and these guys are saying to the abductees, we're going to be involved in helping out with that and endearing ourselves to you guys, so another piece of the puzzle may fall in, oh, the saviors of mankind have arrived, which is kind of the good cop, bad cop, where the fallen angels make themselves the good guys, and God coming, the bad guys. So there is all of these stepping stones to shepherding us into the moment where we will, you know, be invited to join with them in this final, you know, uh, very uh, destiny-making war. Another thing I wanted to mention as far as what I'm seeing, because, you know, we'll see more once this thing plays itself out. But right now, just very quickly, at the, what I'm seeing uh, already, uh, groundwork coming in, we'll see, as you said, how quickly some of these things may be implemented or if this goes away or comes back. There's another thing, which is the dependence on the state, this universal income that we're being offered, which is a great thing. And I know that people need it. I need it. People need it. And it's like, okay, yes. This is something that people need. And, well, there's a culture of debt. Uh, that Only as a stopgap measure, though. Only as a stopgap measure. Right. Well, what if, it, what if uh, eventually, you know, it becomes more of awakens people, especially in the United States, that, hey, you know, maybe we do need these social uh, nets to be fortified, and people are willing to give up uh, something, uh, more of their freedoms uh, and 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 have more transparency with whoever's on the other side of the line in order to get access to 
to all of these things and and again see it as part of a security measure, a safety net. And so perhaps this will draw us again into a deeper dependence. If you kind of look at the two extremes, uh, individual freedoms or more dependence on the state. Well, it might, you know, again, willingly shepherd us in a direction where we're more connected technologically, uh, we're more connected, you know, structurally, uh, and we are more united in our resolve against common threats. So gradually you start to see a kind of society emerging that is more like the kind of kingdom that biblical prophecy explains will be here in the last seven years. Um, and the more people, I think, turn to God, uh, uh, there's, a, there's a sense of a, of, of a conflict uh, uh, with, uh, with, with that ultimate system. And that's also, you know, uncomfortable at the same time. Uh, it's a good thing. We have to, you know, embrace it as a good thing. And, and the second coming itself, uh, to come back to some of the things we were saying at the beginning of the show, the second coming itself is a I'm just Ali, I'm, uh, Ali, I have to break in here. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll pick up on the second coming on the other side because we're, we're heading into a break here. Ali Siadatan, Think Again Productions, right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. Big Brother is listening, and so are you. To The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free 1-866-740-4740. Let's grab a quick call and uh, we'll go to Melanie here in Toronto. Melanie, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Good morning. Hi, I'll try to make a quick, a blessed evening to you. I came upon something super phenomenal that's going to shock everybody that hears this, and it, all those that accuse us of being conspirators, this is right from National Geographic from October 2005, and the cover is The Next Killer Flu. Can we stop it? I'll just read you something very quick, and then everybody can look it up themselves. Hopefully they can find it. Uh, flu researchers at the CDC and in the Netherlands hope to find out in advance by artificially breeding new viruses in high containment labs. They are deliberately mixing and matching genes from H5N1 and human flu viruses. Then they will test the hybrids to see whether any have inherited both the bird's virus, says virulence, and the human virus's ability to spread. In effect, they are trying to create a pandemic flu strain in the lab. Some critics think that that's reckless, but Eric Hoffman, a St. Jude researcher who helped develop a genetic engineering technique for flu, says the experiments are key to learning what we may eventually face. It's basically the best simulation one could have in the lab of what possibly could happen in nature. And I'm almost finished. If we're lucky, he says, all the hybrid viruses will be harmless or won't thrive, suggesting that we may never spawn a pandemic. That, of course, would be good news, says Hoffman. And if the news is less reassuring, then scientists monitoring in Asia would have a clue about what to watch for, what genetic changes in the virus might signal, signal big trouble ahead. Sorry I took so long. This no, 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 that was important. That, that was good. Thank you for that. 
This is phenomenal. And if anybody wants to look into it, and still call us conspirators, October 2005, National Geographic, head co- uh, the cover story, the killer flu. It's shocking. And you know what? I believe China wanted money. I don't believe that they did it for, you know, uh, nefarious reasons. I think they were trying to bring trillions of dollars through a patent for treating uh, human viruses. And this they did when they inoculated most of the people in Huan province uh, months before saying this is just flu to protect you from the flu. What a bad, bad, best, you know, China can do what it wants with its people, and we know that. So I think this was an experiment that's gone totally, totally off the planet. This is my theory, and here I found it from 2005. So God bless us all. All right, Melanie, thank you for that. Well, you know, there's no question that, that they are doing these sorts of things uh, in in these 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 bio lab level four labs. We have one in Winnipeg. Uh, there is one apparently in in Wuhan. So that, you know that we have to hold that out as a possibility that they were working on something like this. Maybe it escaped, or it may have gone from bats to 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 pigs to or bats to some other uh, you know uh, vector before it was transferred to humans. However, regardless of whether they made it happen or let it happen or saw it happen and were glad it happened, it happened. And here we are. And, um, you you were mentioning a little earlier about, you know, guaranteed incomes and how I was saying, I'm hoping that's a stopgap measure, but you know, if we're going to be quarantined and if these supply chains that were interrupted, they want to put a stop to that and bring a lot of these factories home, they're not going to be able to pay our workers what they paid workers in China. So they will be replaced with robots. And this is going to cause, already is causing, a huge displacement. This was what Andrew um, Yang was talking about in the Democratic uh, primary. I mean, he was an interesting candidate. He was the only one really talking about this. And this is vitally important. The huge displacement that's happening. We are being replaced by robots. And what are you going to do with, with, with people that, that used to work on the assembly line? You're going you're gonna to have to introduce some sort of a guaranteed uh, income. And, and here we are. Yeah. So that's, that's, that can push us you know, into, into more of a dependence. So everything is pointing to a more integrated, technologically independent society. Um, and again, the, the, the whole idea, the bigger picture for me, is that God and his angels, his Holy Spirit, and uh, his power is, are in charge. That there's nothing here. It's more like observations of, of seeing if, you know, some of the things that are uh, recorded in this book are leading to this final moment of history before we get into this wonderful season, the Sabbath of history. The Second Coming is the solution, really, to all of the world's problems at every level, you know, personal, communal, national, international, everything from, you know, disease to uh, psychological, emotional, uh, spiritual, I mean, you name it. The Second Coming is the solution, exploitation, darkness, all the evil that's in the world. It's a solution. So it's, if, if we really are the verge of such an incredible event, well, we are told to pray for it, to look for it, and to desire it, and, and therefore we, we, it would be wonderfully a, a blessing for our generation to see this. Um, we're kind of looking for clues to see if we are, in fact, headed towards this kind of a kingdom, because, because we're looking forward 
to what it means. It means that we are at the gates of a wonderful change, uh, a transition uh, uh, from the world of fallen angels and fallen men to the world of the Messiah and God uh, and the Sabbath of history and, and, a, and a world where the wolf uh, and, and the lamb live together and the child and the lion live together, uh, you know, and, and, and we live with the asps and we're not at all uh, wounded by them. This type of a harmonious uh, kingdom is what we are hoping for. So it's a wonderful thing if this is what's happening and if these are parts of the signs of the times. It's, it's a good thing, but... Uh, but the, I mean, the those that want us to uh, be vaccinated, and those of us that that want us to put health before civil liberties, they're kind of arguing the same thing. We're trying to bring you a more harmonious world. We're, you know, it's time to tear down borders. We're caught. We're, we're confronted by a common enemy. So uh, they're they're both. We're, we're getting the same message from both sides, aren't we? Oh, yes, and it's a pseudo. That's why antichristus in the Greek, that's the word used in the Bible. It's not antichrist, it's ante, antichristus, which means pseudo-messiah instead of the messiah. Instead, even through the science of genetics, we may be offered immortality. If you play with the gene code, maybe they can extend life the way that God shortened it to 120 years after the flood. Maybe perhaps there's a way of extending. Perhaps God has locked that possibility but who knows what gifts they may want to offer us to say, you know what, why don't you stay on this side of the fence? You know, he, this guy is going to make it, and why don't you join his army? So we have been offered uh, two, two worlds. Uh, now, biblical prophecy has done us a favor and has revealed to us already which one will win. So, um, you know, uh, from a very practical point of view, it's best to be on, on the winning side, I'd say, but it's not just practical, it's more like a love relationship. We have an emptiness in us that can only be filled with the love of God. It is, it is God has created this emptiness in us uh, so that we would know Him through it. And we're not So in, in the meantime, though, Ali, do we, do we sit back, those you know, that, that are of us that are Bible-believing Christians, and say, ah, okay, I see what's happening here. But I'm just going to let it ride, because I know in the end the good guys win. Or do we push back? Do we, we fight back. it? I think we push back because uh, we want to uh, make our voice known, and we want to have spoken. We want it to be recorded in history you know, for ourselves, for our own sake, for the sake of our conscience, for the sake of our children, for the sake of our values, that we have spoken, and we will influence. We have been given, this is what these Protestants and republics and you know, the revolutions of Europe, England, France, uh, you know, America, um, there was a strain in there that said, let us have a little bit more of a say into, you know, more transparency, because we don't really know who's on the other end of the line. Um, it, and so I think it's healthy for us to stand up and say, wait, we don't, we're not that afraid. We don't want that kind of an Orwellian... 1984 Big Brother type of society. We don't want that. And even though we may okay. not get our wishes, but at least we will influence its course. All right. Ali, always a pleasure. And we'll direct people again to thinkagainproductions.com. Uh, there they can screen UFOs, Angels, and Gods for free. They should also subscribe to the YouTube channel. That's Think Again Productions as well, is it? Yes. It's, yes. It's, when they click on the video, it'll take them to YouTube and they can subscribe. Excellent. There. 
terrific. And sign up for the newsletter while you're at it. Ali, always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Richard. Wonderful evening. All right. Bye-bye. God bless. My thanks to Carlos and Ryan back next week with a brand new program, John Barber, for the full two hours. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Or at least up the stairs. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.